It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome back to our Daily Thunder series on Victorious Living, and this is our second session. So in our first session, we talked about catching a vision for more, gaining that vision that God has for each of us to not pitch our tent in the land of mediocrity, but to pull up those tent stakes and say, Lord, I will follow you no matter where you call me. And there's always more depths of Jesus Christ to discover. In this session, we're going to be talking about going after more. So this really builds on what we talked about in the last session. And maybe a subtitle for this could be called Embracing, quote, Extreme and Unnecessary Devotion. We talked a little bit in the last session about how when we go after Jesus truly holding nothing back, there will be people in our lives that look at it as extreme and unnecessary. But it's so critical to remember that what Jesus Christ did for us was extreme, and our response back to him needs to be, Lord, I'm holding nothing back. I want to take a quick look at two pictures of radical devotion to Christ in Scripture. And the first one is a story about David's mighty men. You might be familiar with this story. I always thought of this as a rather odd story, but it's actually really profound. They were all in hiding, David and his mighty men, and they were hiding from the Philistines, and they were kind of in the of a war zone and they could lose their lives at any moment. And David expresses his longing for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. Now that was surrounded by the enemy, by all the Philistines, and it was like a life-risking endeavor to go get a drink from the well of Bethlehem. So it's kind of, you get the impression that it was more like wishful thinking on David's part, like he was just thinking out loud, not that he really was wanting anyone to go risk their lives to get him a drink of water. But these three mighty men of David's, they were so loyal to David. He was their true king. And they said, there is no sacrifice too great to just show our love and our gratitude to him. And so it says that the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, oh my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy for at risk of their lives, they brought it. And that gift that those men brought to him was a demonstration of their love and their devotion to him, saying, even if we lose our lives, that's how great our devotion is to you. And no sacrifice is too great for our true king. And it was so sacred to David because they were so extreme in their devotion to him that he poured it out as an offering to God and said, Lord, I can't just selfishly take this because look at what they have done for me. And what an amazing picture of the kind of devotion we are called to have for our king, that even just that slight desire that he expresses, we are just willing to risk our lives to say yes to that desire. Another picture of radical devotion that we see is in the story of Mary of Bethany in the New Testament. When Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. This is the kind of devotion that doesn't make any sense to other people. Why would these three men risk their lives just to go get their king a drink from a well that was surrounded by Philistines? Why would this woman use up something that could have 
supported someone for an entire year just to anoint Jesus' head, and people would say, that's extreme, that's unnecessary. And yet, in both of these instances in Scripture, you see that it is a sacred thing, it is a beautiful thing, it is something that God highly esteems. And here's a key question that we need to ask ourselves, do we have that kind of devotion to Jesus Christ? Are we willing to charge straight into the most dangerous situations or lavishly pour out our most valuable possessions on Him just because we love him. The key truth is that, yes, there is mediocrity all around us. There will probably always be people in our lives, in the church, who think that radically giving everything to Christ, the way those stories illustrate, is extreme and unnecessary. But as I said earlier, what Jesus did for us was extreme and unnecessary, and yet he did it anyway because of his amazing love. Quote, extreme and unnecessary, acts of love for our king are never wasted they are precious in his sight. Jesus said of Mary of Bethany, she has done a beautiful thing for me. So when we think that giving everything to Jesus is extreme and and unnecessary, we miss the heart of true Christianity. Leonard Ravenhill said it this way, what does it mean to be a Christian? Your life is hid with Christ. You are not your own. You have no time of your own, no money of your own. Christ must become your complete master. And that is such a perfect way to express what radical devotion to Christ is. But I love how he starts it. What does it mean to be a Christian? This isn't for extreme Christians. This is for every Christian. I want to look at three practical ways to go after more in our lives. Now, at the end of the last session, we talked about just asking God for the willingness to say yes, because sometimes we have to be brought to that place where we're willing to take the step forward, even though it's very scary. And God has to do that work of grace within us to create that willingness to stay to say yes. We can't just snap our fingers and say, I'm going to be radically devoted to Christ. It has to be something he does within us. So that's really where it starts. Once we have said yes, once our hearts are radically devoted to Christ to say, no sacrifice is too great for you, Lord, how do we practically live that kind of Christianity out? So these are practical ways that we can start. The first one is to pursue Jesus first in our lives. Now, that may sound kind of like, oh, yeah, of course, we all know that we're supposed to pursue Jesus Christ, but it can be very easy to talk about it without actually really living that way. As modern Christians, we tend to put a lot of other things first in our lives but putting a Christian label over them. So it might be our career, even a marriage or the hope of marriage, friendships and popularity, accomplishments, or even ministry can take a position higher than Christ. And then we try to add Jesus in as an afterthought. All of these pursuits might be good in themselves, but they are not the first thing that we are called to. What is the first thing that we are called to? to? The primary thing that is meant to occupy our energy, our direction, our focus, everything, and that is Jesus. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the key truth there is that when we pursue Jesus as our highest priority, everything else in our life naturally falls into place, and our life eternally impacts others. This is one of my favorite stories that I'm going to share with you. It's the story of Leonard Ravenhill's father. Now, I talked about him in the last session, but he was a man who was just so passionate about revival. When he was 14, he got radically saved, and from that point forward, he prayed for revival and preached and was an evangelist and advocated to awaken the church towards revival, and he had an amazing ministry. But he talked about his conversion to Christianity at the age of 14, and I love his father's example. This is what he said. 
I was 14, and I wanted to understand my father's zeal for God. My daddy relished reading the Word of God, and he relished going to prayer meetings, even half nights of prayer. He relished being a street corner preacher. My daddy had inspired zeal. God had lifted the beggar from the dunghill. He completely changed my daddy. He had been in a certain system of religion that was based in fear, and then he got marvelously born again. He became fervent in spirit serving the Lord. I never saw him downcast. I never saw him thinking about giving up. When he got saved, he tossed away his interest in professional football and everything else. I saw his joy, even though we lived in comparative poverty and hadn't much money because my daddy was a laborer. I remember him taking me to a half night of prayer when I was 14, and my daddy, who was a big husky man, taking off his coat at one o'clock in the morning in a room that had no heat and praying with tears and fervor. From that very day, I recognized that there was something far beyond what the average Christian had. I got saved at 14. I'm 84 now. I've seen all kinds of tragedies in the church. I've seen wars and rumors of wars. I've seen popular men go unpopular. But I keep looking to Jesus and remembering these old paths that my daddy used to talk about so much, and it makes all the rest look like trivia. Now, here is an 84-year-old godly man who has given his life radically to Christ. When he looks back on his childhood, he doesn't remember his education or the material things that his family had. He remembers his father's zeal for God. He remembers his father's absolute devotion to Jesus Christ to the point where nothing else in his life really mattered. And that devotion to Christ that his father had continues to impact Leonard's life even at the age of 84. And when I heard that, it just really convicted me and challenged me to ask, is that what my family and friends will remember about me? Will you be remembered for your absolute radical devotion, your passion for Jesus Christ? Or will they remember you for your social media page, your abilities, your accomplishments, The only way to cultivate that kind of passion for Christ is to spend focused, purposeful time with him every day to build our lives around him instead of just fitting him in. So how do we do that in the midst of a modern, fast-paced world, in the midst of our busy, distracted lives? Well, one principle that I always come back to, and this is probably one you've heard me share before, and that is understanding that I'm too busy not to pray. When I was a young mom and I had so many little children that needed me all the time and it felt like I didn't have one spare moment, my mentality was I'm too busy to pray. I can't fit that in right now. I'll just have to grow spiritually later. But then I heard another mom of six say, I'm too busy not to pray. And it just shifted my perspective because I recognized that in the midst of all this busyness and all this high demand in my life, I'm, I have to be going to the right source for my strength and my joy, and my peace, and my happiness. Otherwise, everything I'm doing, I'll just burn out because I'm doing it on my own. And I began to put that principle into practice, even though it didn't look like a three-hour quiet time at the same time every day, but just saying, I'm going to pursue Christ even if it's in the odd corners of my day, even if it's late at night, even if it's while I'm driving in the car, I'm going after him. And that changed everything for me. Corey Ten Boom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. That's some of the most practical advice I've ever heard when it comes to pursuing Christ first. We so often want to get our life all figured out and get all these things in place and then go after Christ. But she says, don't wait till it's all perfect. Don't wait till you feel like it. Just make an appointment and keep it. And that's how we can pursue him on a daily basis. There's also the story in scripture of the banquet table. 
where Jesus talks about inviting this man who invites all of these people to this beautiful banquet feast. And every single one of them makes excuses and says, you know, I've married a wife, I've bought a piece of land, I've done this, I've done, I can't, pr- I pray you have me excused. And yet they miss this amazing opportunity. They're choosing something that seems good to them over, they're choosing that over the best that God has for them. And what an incredible and sad picture of the way we often approach our relationship with Christ. He has this incredible spiritual feast waiting for us every single day. And yet we say, well, I have this going on. I have that going on. I I pray you have me excused. I also think of the of those who wanted to get their friend to the feet of Jesus, the paralyzed man, and they had obstacles in their way. They had this man on a stretcher, and they came to the house where Jesus was, and they saw the crowds, they saw this big house. There was no way to get this man to the feet of Jesus, and yet they said, nothing's going to keep us from getting to the feet of Jesus, no matter what we have to do. So they climb up on the roof, take the tiles apart, lower the man down right at Jesus' feet. That's the determination that says nothing's going to keep me from getting to Jesus' feet. It doesn't matter the obstacles. I'm going after him. I remember hearing the story of John Wesley when he went to go visit one of the most powerful men in England whose name was Lord Byron, and people would wait for years just to get an audience with this man because he was so influential and so popular, and he invited John Wesley to dinner, and John Wesley went, but then he left early, and Lord Byron was all offended, and he said, why can how, why are you leaving? Don't you know how many people want to spend a whole evening with me? And John Wesley's response was this, I have an appointment with the king of the universe, and I dare not be late, and I dare not be tired. That's called having your priorities straight. Imagine being invited over to one of the most famous people in our country. You know, you're invited to spend an evening with them, but you leave early because your appointment with the king of the universe is more important to you. Now, there is a simple and biblical solution for putting Jesus first in our lives, and it can be found in Psalm 27, 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. It really is that simple, and yet we often balk at saying, your face, Lord, I will seek. But when we become like those who, when we say that, when we kind of balk and we say, Lord, I just don't think I can do that, we become like those who refused to go to the king's banquet because they thought they had something more important to do. But when we truly pursue Jesus first, we begin to feel the same way David Brainerd felt when he said these words, one hour with God infinitely exceeds all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. And just like a married couple would suffer if they never spent any time together, our relationship with with Christ will suffer if we never spend time sitting at his feet. I remember hearing, uh, getting an email from a missionary who was on the mission field and she was living an outwardly radical life for Christ, serving and living a sacrificial life. But she said, you know, my biggest struggle here is not the heat or the dirt or the poverty or the difficult conditions. It's the fact that I'm tempted to spend more time on Facebook than on prayer and in the word of God. So we can be living an outwardly radical life, but if our inward life is more distracted by social media than prayer and the word of God, he doesn't truly have our heart. Let's not let that become our story. I want to give you a few practicals for growing spiritually during busy seasons because I've had a very busy life for the past couple of decades, and I've had to learn that I can't wait for my life to slow down before I really pursue Jesus Christ and put him first. And here are some of the ways that I have learned to do that. First of all, be creative with your time. Look for opportunities in every day where you can steal away and be at his feet, even if it's just inwardly. It might be listening to audio scripture as you work around the house. It might be listening to Christian biographies 
on, in an audio format. It might be praying while you're driving in your car, reading scripture and talking to God in your spare moments instead of just always scrolling your phone and checking Instagram. And then finding those short but powerful devotionals to read when you first wake up and when you go to bed at night, books like Daily Light, My Utmost for His Highest, Streams in the Desert. I love those because you can only, you can read a few sentences and be powerfully impacted. Put boundaries around social media and other distractions in your life. That might go without saying, but something we all need to be reminded of. And remember, Amy Carmichael said, the spirit can sit at the master's feet while the hands are busy serving others. So you can have a heart that is going to the feet of Jesus, even as you are pouring out your life for your family or others that God has put in your life. A few other practical tips that have been helpful for me is getting back up on the horse when life bucks you off. So if something unexpected happens, an illness, a schedule change, some crisis in somebody else's life that kind of pulls you away for a while, don't just think, oh, I've got to start all the way back over and regain a closeness to Christ. Just simply say, nope, from from this point, the point that I recognize I've kind of veered off of that priority of sitting at Jesus' feet, I'm starting from this point forward. And you can pick up right where you left off. Expect and be prepared for spiritual attacks when you begin to pursue Christ first and learn how to resist them. Whenever the enemy hits you with tiredness or exhaustion or apathy or friction in relationships, just say, nope, I say no to that right now in the name of Jesus. That is a distraction from the enemy. Also keep pressing forward no matter what. And don't wait for the emotional gush to be there before you pursue Jesus Christ. Just decide you're going to pursue him and your emotions will eventually line up. One of the most obvious shifts that all of us could be making in our schedule is this, where do we go when we need to refuel? Do we look at our free time as our right to self-indulge in whatever distractions we are drawn to, or do we look at all of our time as belonging to Jesus? I love this picture in scripture of how Jesus refueled when he was tired. It says in Mark 1, 32 through 35, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And when the whole city was gathered together at the door, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So that is an exhausting form of ministry. If you just think about it, the whole city was gathered there for ministry from him, and he ministered to them. Now, in the morning, this is after pouring out that way the night before, he rose up a long while before daylight, and he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And even in his free time, Jesus was constantly saying, not my will, but yours be done so that he could become a sacrifice on our behalf. He didn't get up early in the morning and go away to be by himself so he could just veg or be alone or reflect or do something self-indulgent. He went there to be alone with the Father, and that is how he became spiritually refueled for what he had called what he was called to do. Now, are we willing to follow in his footsteps and make that same sacrifice for him? If we want to cultivate lasting passion for Christ, I would encourage us to look at every moment of our day and ask whether our choices are leading us closer to him or distracting us from him. It's not always just the big decisions that matter, like are you called to ministry work or to the mission field? It Often it starts with the small moments that even seem insignificant, but there are moments when we say no to our selfish side, no to what the culture is pulling us towards, and yes to putting Jesus first. We need to remember that he is worth it. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. 
Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.